You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we are going to be this morning. And uh, I promise only good news today. All right? Only, uh, only the gospel today. Um, hey, uh, so it's central. Um, we, uh, we take the mission seriously. Um, and so we give to missions. We pray for missions. We support missionaries around the world. And another way that the Lord has kind of begun to, to open some doors for us is through our live stream. Uh, and so we, uh, we've been messaging back and forth with um, a pastor of a house church in a country that, uh, uh, that I can't even name, uh, and I can't use his name, uh, but uh, that church is watching with us right now. Uh, they're worshiping with us. So yeah, make them feel welcome. Uh, so hey, we just want uh, you brothers and sisters to know we love you uh, and we're praying for you. And if you're watching, whether you are uh, in Sanford or across the world, man, we're so glad that you have joined with us today. Um, so let's stop and let's pray uh, for those brothers and sisters and pray for just what God is doing in the nations around the world. Uh, God, we are grateful for today. Lord, we're grateful that your word is true and that Jesus is alive. God, we know that Jesus is worthy of worship of people in every place, in every country, in every nation. And so, Father, we are so grateful that, that even when we don't see it, that you are working in and among our nation and the nations of the world. And so, Father, we pray over this group of believers worshiping with us together. God, we pray that you would encourage them. God, we pray for believers in Afghanistan. God, we pray that you would encourage them, that you would keep them safe, that you would give them boldness to stand for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And God, we pray that you would hasten the return of Jesus. God, that you would, you would come and you would make all things right. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1 is where we are going to be this morning. And I wonder if you remember anything about when you learned to drive. Maybe you have some nuggets of wisdom that uh, your, your father or your mother or whoever it is that taught you how to drive. Maybe you remember some things uh, that they, uh, they kind of drilled into your brain. Uh, I have some of those things. I'm convinced that half the drivers in Sanford uh, have forgotten that a blinker is a good thing, right? I was driving down Reinhardt yesterday thinking like their blinker fluid must be low or something. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give them some grace, right? Uh, uh, that's one of the things that sticks out to me is my dad telling me to use my blinker. Uh, th there are a few different things that stick out, but, but one of the things that when I think about my dad teaching me how to drive, one of the things that I, I remember him just drilling into my head over and over and over again was this, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate, right? Because if you hesitate, you're going to get hit. If you hesitate, you're going to get in an accident. If you hesitate, things are going to go bad. And when you think about that, don't hesitate, that really, that, that really is true in, when it comes to more than just driving, right? That's true in life. Don't hesitate. If you're supposed to go, go. If you're supposed to stay, stay. If you're supposed to stop, stop. Don't hesitate. I think it's especially true for us for where we find ourselves as a church, right? 
As we enter into what looks like it's going to be a season of transition, uh, our, uh, our instinct or our pool is going to be, hey, we just need to sit. We just need to wait. Maybe we need to hesitate a little bit. But when we read the Bible, when we read the New Testament, we see that that could not be further from the truth. And so as we look at Acts chapter 1 this morning, we're going to see this truth. The Spirit-driven mission never stops. The Spirit-driven mission never stops. It doesn't stop, right? Uh, The mission that God has given to Central Church does not belong to a pastor, It doesn't belong to a small group. It doesn't belong to just this person or that person. The mission that God has given to you and I belongs to every person in this room. The the same mission that we have, the, the same mission that we have today is the same mission that believers through the ages have been tasked with. And that is to make God's name famous among the nations and among our nation by preaching the good news of the gospel. And that mission doesn't stop, right? It keeps going. And so we look at Acts chapter 1, we're going to see this truth played out. So Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 11. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. Acts chapter 1. The Spirit says to us this morning, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. You can be seated. Let's pray one more time. God, be with us now. Speak to us through your word. Conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, spirit-driven mission doesn't stop. And as we look at this passage, we see three marks of what a spirit-driven mission looks like, the the spirit-driven mission that you and I have been given. And so the first mark we see is this, is that the spirit-driven mission has the right spirit, the right spirit. Now, there are a lot of things that we can try to do in our own strength, right? There are a lot of things that we believe that we're sufficient for. There's a lot of things that we think that we are wise enough or we are strong enough or we are smart enough to do on our own. And yet what we see over and over and over again when we look at the New Testament, what we see clearly here in Acts chapter 1 is that we need God's Spirit to do what God has called us to do. 
That's all we need is God's spirit. We need God's spirit working through God's word, applying God's gospel to God's people, and we can do exactly what he has called us to do. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 1, you see that it's written by Dr. Luke, right? The, uh, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke wrote Acts. And so uh, right in the, the first verse, we see that this is part two, right? In the first book, O Theophilus. Now, Theophilus could be an actual person, uh, or it could be a, a name that is kind of figurative or symbolic for all people. That, that name, Theophilus, means God lover. And so he says, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what the rest of the book of Acts is, is what Jesus continues to do by his spirit through his church. Right? So, so the entire book of Acts is the way that the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem and the way that Jesus, by his spirit, is going to work. And see, what we see is Jesus isn't done after his ascension. Right? It might be tempting to think that Jesus goes, he's, he's ascended to heaven, and now we're left on our own. But that's not what happens at all. Right? Jesus is still active, just as active now as he was before. And so in verse 3, we have this summary of what Jesus was doing between his resurrection and his ascension. In verse 3, Luke tells us that there were 40 days between his resurrection from the grave and his ascension. This is the only place in Scripture that we have that 40 days identified. And so we see that he's, he's teaching them, right? He's presenting himself alive with many proofs. He's saying, look, I am alive, and I'm going to show you how I'm alive. We know one of those proofs came from Thomas, right? We have doubting Thomas, uh, that Jesus said, look, it touched the scars, right? It touched where I was beat, touched where I was crucified. You know, one of my favorite parts in the Gospels, if you, you look at Matthew 28, you have the, the resurrected Lord Jesus standing there, and he's about to give the Great Commission. And Matthew adds this little line in there. He says that they saw him, and many believed, but some doubted, right? Some doubted. This guy was dead, and now he's alive, but you're not sure, like, maybe this is a magic trick, right? Like, may, maybe this is uh, something, uh, some kind of illusion, but what we see here is that Jesus over and over and over again is proving to people, proving to his followers that he is alive and that he is with them. And it says that he goes on, he, he speaks, he teaches about the kingdom of God. Now, when you read the Gospels, you see that phrase, kingdom of God, over and over and over again. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's rule in the hearts and the lives of his people that today is spiritual, but one day will be physical. One day will be literal. This kingdom is already here in our hearts, but it's not yet fully here. And then in verse four, something interesting happens. Now, Jesus' ministry for three years has been him preparing his followers him commissioning his followers, him sending his followers. You read this over and over and over again in the Gospels, that, that Jesus, he, he gathers his disciples, and he commissions his disciples, he sends his disciples, they come back, they report, and he does it again. Now here in verse 4, we see something different. He says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. He orders them to wait. Now that word ordered, that, that, that word that we have translated as ordered, it means literally uh, to uh, an announcement about something that must be done. And so Jesus' announcement is that you have to wait. 
Right? He could have ordered them to do anything. He could have said, hey, you need to go raise money because there's something that's going to happen. He could have said, you need to go meet with this guy, or you need to go identify a new leader, or you need to go find this guru over here, or this or that. But what does Jesus do? He says, you don't need to do anything. You just need to wait. And why are they waiting? They're waiting for the promise of the Father. Now, what is this promise? He makes it explicit in verse 5. He says that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's looking forward to what we call Pentecost. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us that he has a plan. He has a mission for us, but that it is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, surely the disciples thought that this mission was impossible without Jesus. But what he's saying is that this mission is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Right? Think about this for a minute. Right, the, the, the disciples, they have lived with Jesus. They've done ministry with Jesus for three years. Now Jesus dies, rises again, and he is going to ascend to the Father. But the mission doesn't stop, right? The mission keeps going. The mission keeps going because Jesus says in John 17 that it's better that I leave than that I stay because a helper is going to come. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus doesn't promise a new king. He doesn't promise a new leader. He promises the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting that this is the only place the disciples are told to wait. Once the Spirit comes, the mission starts to move and the mission never stops. Now, we're entering into this season of transition, it looks like, as a church. And it's going to be tempting for us to think that, hey, we just need to stop. We just need to sit back. We just need to wait. We just need to wait and see what's going to happen. Maybe even you are kind of feeling that, right? Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, hey, I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to wait. I'm going to see what happens over the next few weeks. I'm going to see what happens over the next few months. And then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to jump in. Then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to keep going. Then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to get back on the bus for the mission. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, the mission never stops, right? Just because we're entering into transition doesn't mean that people stop going to hell, right? Just because we're entering into a season of transition doesn't mean that God has stopped working in central or through central or in our world. No, the mission that God is doing doesn't stop, right? That's what, that's what we have to fight to remember. We have to fight to believe. And this is true whether we have a pastor or not, right? That the mission doesn't stop. The mission doesn't stop at central. The mission doesn't stop in the world. And your part in the mission isn't over, right? If you have breath in your lungs, then God is still using you to accomplish his purpose in the world. In fact, what I would encourage you with is this, is that now might be the, a better time than ever to join the mission of God, right? to join what he's doing in our community through our church, not for Central's glory, but for his glory. Amen. So we've got to have the right spirit. And, and as the right spirit drives that mission, we see that the mission never stops. Next, we see that the next mark of a spirit driven mission is the right mission. So we have the right spirit and the right mission. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the right spirit always leads us to the right mission. Now, if we're not careful, we can subtly replace the Spirit's voice with our own, and we end up diving headlong into the wrong mission. We end up diving into a mission that looks a whole lot more like our mission than God's mission, and God's mission is far too important for us to miss. And when it's driven by the right Spirit, it doesn't stop. And so as we look here at verse 6, we have this great example of what it means, of what it looks like to miss the point, right? The disciples, they say, God, are you now going to restore Israel? What they're saying are, God, are you now going to give us our land back? Are you now going to give us our kingdom back? Are you now going to kick out the Romans and show that we are your people? And Jesus in only a way that Jesus can, says, no dum-dums, right? He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, the disciples, they're, they're looking for a political kingdom. They're looking for a political Messiah. They're looking for a political Savior, But if there's something that 2,000 years of church history has told us is that a savior is never found in politics, right? The savior is found in Jesus the Christ. So Jesus corrects them. He says, it's not for you to know, but you've got another mission. And he restates this mission that they've already heard, and he restates it as a promise. Look at verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the promise. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' promise is that the disciples are going to, to receive power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that power? What kind of power does the Holy Spirit have? And what kind of power is the Holy Spirit giving to the disciples? What kind of power is the Holy Spirit giving to you and I? Well, it's this kind of power. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is at work in you to see you defeat sin and live on mission for him. Right? Well, what more do we need? Right? I I want some of that. Right? Like that's high octane. Right? That's premium grade, whatever it is. Right? That's the good stuff. And that's what we have been promised. He says, you'll be my witnesses. Now, this word witness, it's used 29 times in the book of Acts. It it carries with it this idea of bearing a divine message. And so to be the witnesses that God has called us to be, what Jesus is saying here is that you need the Spirit. That you can't be the witness that that you've been called to be apart from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. This is where the right spirit and the right mission come together. They collide. Warren Wearsby is writing on this verse. He says this. He says, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. Now, maybe you say, Ethan, I don't live in Jerusalem. I don't live in Judea or Samaria. You're absolutely right. That doesn't mean that this mission is any less relevant for you or any less applicable to you because do you know where you do live? To the ends of the earth. Now this verse, verse 8, really it kind of serves as an outline for the entire book of Acts. So if you you were to to kind of lay this over the book of Acts, you would see that that the way it progresses is chapters 1 to 7 
is the gospel going forward in Jerusalem. And, and then you keep going and you see the gospel going to Judea and Samaria. And then you keep going and you see at the end of the book of Acts that the gospel is going to the ends of the known world at that time. Now, maybe you don't live in Judea or Samaria, but you do live to the ends of the earth. See, for us, our Judea, our Jerusalem would be Sanford. Our Judea and Samaria would be Orlando and Central Florida and then our state and our nation and then to the ends of the earth. That's the mission that you and I have been called to live on. See, when you give your life to Jesus, you're giving your life to Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, you're giving your life to Jesus's mission, right? That's what every believer has been called to do. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. John Piper says that every Christian uh, either prays, gives, or goes on mission. See, we all have a part to play in this mission. Now, our parts to play in this mission may look different. The, the way God has called you to fulfill this mission may look different than the way he's called me to fulfill this mission. The way he's called me to fulfill this mission may look different than the way he's called that guy or, or that lady or that person to fulfill the mission. But the bottom line is every Christ follower has a part to play in the mission of God. That's not something we're exempted from. That's not something we get to opt out of, right? I remember in high school, there were always people who they would want to opt out of gym. I was like, guys, that's my 1A, right? Like, I, I can't say no to that, right? Yeah, I'm going to be sinky, but like, I've got to do this, right? I can't opt out. The same way, like, the mission, we don't get to opt out, right? And we're not graded on how fruitful or how successful we are in leading people to Jesus. No, all God has called us to is to be faithful. He hasn't said, hey, go save that person. No, he has said, go be a witness to that person. Go tell that person what I've done and then leave the rest to me. Amen. Leave the results to me. Right. And so your calling isn't to be the next Billy Graham, although it might be. Your calling is not to be the next great soul winner, the next great evangelist, although it might be. Your calling is to be faithful to the mission that God has called you to. It's easy for us to think the worst of the disciples, right? They just don't get it. Over and over again in the New Testament, they just don't get it. Even here, right? Jesus has been teaching for 40 days on the kingdom, and they ask this question, right? God, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's easy for us to kind of like poke fun at the disciples, right? It's easy for us to think like, how hard of a head do you have to have? You just don't get it. But I wonder how often this is true of us. See, we might know what Jesus has called us to, but what we really want is for him to call us to something else that we might like a little more. Maybe we believe that we have a better mission. This week I read the story about a pilot who he was flying in the 1930s and he earned this nickname. His name was Douglas Wrongway Corrigan. What a name, right? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you don't, you're not going uh, on, a, on a flight anytime soon and the pilot introduces himself as wrong way Crowder or whatever it may be. Um, although if my mom had a nickname, this is what it would be. Um, don't tell her I said that. Uh, so uh, wrong way Corrigan, 
He, he, had, he had been involved in flying. He had been involved in aviation for years. And he had flown from California to New York City, which was, he wasn't the first one to do it, but it was pretty impressive considering the plane that he was flying in, right? He was flying like the Pintos of planes. And so he lands in New York City, and his dream had always been the first person to fly from New York City to Dublin, Ireland. And when he filed his flight plan with the aviation authorities, they told him it was a suicide mission, and they told him there's no way you can do that. He said, okay, and so he files papers to fly from New York City back to California. Well, on a foggy morning, it was July 17, 1938, Corgan gets in his plane, he takes off west, headed towards California, and 28 hours later, he touches down in Dublin, Ireland, and says that he had gotten lost in the fog, right? <laughs> and no one believed him, right? And no one believed him. And so what ended up happening is the aviation authorities suspended his license to fly, and so he jumps on a boat back to the United States, and by the time he gets back to the United States, the suspension had been lifted, and he flew from New York to California. See, in, in Douglas Wrongway Corrigan's mind, right, he had a better mission than what the authority said. In his mind, he said, look, it's better for me to fly to Dublin than to California. It's better for me to do this than to do what you've told me to do. I wonder how often that's how we are with the mission that God has given to us. Maybe we all should be called wrong way because at the end of the day, we think that our mission is better than God's mission. Now, that's not to say we don't think God's mission is important, right? I'm sure everyone in here would say, yeah, I believe that God's mission is important. But maybe you would also say that God's mission is important for them, but it's not important for me. Maybe you'd say that God's mission is, is more important for that person over there than it is for me. Because here's the truth. God's mission is inconvenient. But this is what hit me this week. That convenience is often the fuel for disobedience. Right? Convenience and comfort is often what leads us to be disobedient. I can tell you this. It would be much easier for Pastor Allen to stay the pastor of Central because it's comfortable. But if God is calling him to be uncomfortable, then it would be disobedient for him to stay. And so maybe God is calling you to step out of what is comfortable and into what is obedient. And I promise you this, that what is obedient is always better than what is comfortable. It's always better for you in the long run and in the short run to be obedient rather than to be comfortable. See, the spirit-driven mission that God has given us, it never stops. We need the, the marks of uh, this spirit-driven mission. We need the right spirit and the right mission. And finally, we see this, that we need the right motivation. The right motivation. Now, motivation changes everything. Maybe you've heard this, don't do the right thing for the wrong reasons. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we see this picture of what our motivation must be. See, when the Spirit drives the mission, the Spirit changes our motivation. Now get this picture. Jesus has commissioned his disciples. He's given them their mission. And as he finishes speaking, he's lifted by a cloud and he's taken out of sight. Now, understand that when Jesus ascends to heaven, this is a literal, physical, visible event. That's important. And I love the image that we get here, right? That Jesus ascends to the heavens and the disciples are standing there gazing. Now, I'm going to take a little liberty here. I like to think that the disciples are probably just looking up for like 15 minutes, right? They have no idea what's just happened. They're not sure. They're just standing there in silence looking up. And then all of a sudden, what happens? 
two angels appear and they say, brothers, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Now, the reason I said that it's important that Jesus' ascension was literal, physical, visible is because that means that when Jesus returns, his return is literal, physical, visible, right? So that means that there's one day, there's a day coming, and God help us hope it's soon, right? That one day, Jesus will return, and every eye will see him, right? One day, every eye will see that Jesus is who he said he is. There will be no questions about who is king and who is Lord of all. On that day, everyone will see who the true king is, and that king is Jesus. And this is our motivation for our spirit-driven mission. Right? Our motivation is not so that we could say, hey, yeah, I took part in that. Our motivation is not so that we could say, yeah, isn't our church so great? Or isn't our denomination so great? Or isn't this so awesome? No, our motivation to live on mission, to be witnesses, is because Jesus is so great. And one day Jesus will return. And so this motivation, it's really twofold. So first... Jesus' ascension reminds us that he's worthy of worship from every person on earth. So he's worthy of worship of people in Sanford and in Zambia and in Ukraine and in Russia and in China. He is worthy of the Taliban's worship. See, this is ultimately why missions exist. It's been said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Right? And so we live on mission because we want to see people worshiping Jesus, who is the only one who is worthy of worship. But this motivation, there's a second part to it. See, when Jesus returns, we want to take as many people with us as we can. See, when Jesus returns, the dead will be raised. And those who have trusted Christ will be raised to eternal life with him. And those who have rebelled will be raised to eternal punishment separated from him. And so this truth should motivate us out of compassion and love that we're going to take the gospel to every person, to every corner, to every neighbor, to every nation, so that we can take as many people with us to meet Jesus as we can. So you've got to have the right motivation for this mission. Now, if you know me well, then you know a couple things about me. But one of the things that you might know about me is that I, uh, I like Coke Zero, right? Some people might say I love it. Some people might say I'm addicted to it. To them, I say, let me live my life, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't need your judgment right now, right? And so my kids like to pick on me uh, because they're encouragers. And they tell me all the time, Daddy, you drink too much Coke Zero. You're going to die one day. Right? And I tell them, I'd rather die drinking Coke Zero than thirsty uh, is ultimately where I stand. Yeah, amen, right? Uh, and so uh, it's little things. And so there are times where I've tried to cut back on drinking Coke Zero. There's, there's times where I've tried to just quit cold turkey. And it lasts for a day or two, but then those little beautiful bottles start calling my name, right? Uh, and I end, up, I end up drinking one again. Now, what I would like to believe is that if the doctor came to me and said, Ethan, if you keep drinking that Coke Zero, you will die. If you drink another one, you're done. I'd like to believe that I could quit pretty quickly. See, my problem isn't my ability to quit. My problem is my motivation. 
I, I wonder if maybe our problem with living on mission isn't our ability to live on mission, but it's our motivation. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe we know what Jesus has said, but we don't really believe it. Maybe we know that Jesus has said, hey, you have my Holy Spirit living inside of you to empower your mission and you are to be my witnesses wherever you go so that people can hear the gospel, be saved from punishment and have eternal life. And maybe we think, Jesus, you don't really mean it. Or maybe it's worse, maybe we just don't care. See, the problem isn't our ability. We all can learn how to share the gospel. We all can learn to live on mission. You can be equipped with the greatest strategies, the greatest presentations, all of that. And none of it matters if it's not driven by the Spirit. And none of it matters if you learn it and then just sit on it, right? We've been called to live on mission. We've been equipped with the Holy Spirit of God to drive us to empower this mission moving forward. And so the question is, why don't we? Why don't we live on mission? Well, maybe we don't live on mission because we have our motivations mixed up. Maybe our motivation is our comfort rather than Christ. Maybe your motivation is life is, is you rather than Jesus. And so maybe today you need to stop and you need to say, Lord, I need to repent because I've been ignoring the mission. Or maybe this morning, maybe you've trusted Jesus and you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, hey, I've just never really thought about joining on God's mission. Well, the best time to join in God's mission was yesterday, but the second best time is today, right? The second best time is to start right now, right where you are. See, this spirit-driven mission, it never stops. When we have the right spirit and the right mission and the right motivation, we have everything that we need to live on the mission that God has called us to. We have the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted Christ, then you've been given the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of you. And that spirit is, is leading you to the right mission. I've got to believe that that's why you're here today, so that you can hear about what this mission is. It's why I'm here, so that I can be reminded of what this mission is. And so now we just need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would give us the right motivation, that we would be reminded that Jesus is real. Jesus is worthy of worship, and he's coming back one day, and we want to take everyone we can to meet him and to know him and to worship him. And so as we move into a season of transition, you're going to be tempted to think that you can step back. You may be tempted to think that all of this really isn't that important. Well, here's what I want you to know. Central Church's mission will not stop because the Spirit-driven mission never stops. We are going to keep moving hard. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep pressing into what God has called us to do. See, imagine for a minute the transition that the disciples were walking into. Jesus is gone. They have no idea what they're going to do, but little do they know that their best days were ahead. See, I'm convinced of this, that as we follow Jesus and we let the Spirit drive us, then the best days of Central are in our windshield, not our rear view. As we keep following Jesus, as we, we keep allowing the Spirit to lead us and to drive us on this mission He's called us to, 
And I've got to believe that God has great days. He has great things planned for Central Church in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead as we get to follow him together, making much of Jesus in Sanford and around the world. Maybe this morning you're saying, Ethan, hey, this all sounds great, this talk of mission, but, but let's talk about Jesus. Who's this Jesus guy? The, the reason we're so excited about the mission here at Central is because of Jesus, right? That Jesus has lived the life that we should have lived, the perfect life, free from sin. And then he died the death, taking the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve. And now if we will trust him, if we'll lay down our lives, give our lives to him, then we can have eternal life with him forever. We can have forgiveness and grace upon grace upon grace. And so maybe today that's what you need to do. Maybe before you take that jump to live on mission, maybe first you need to meet Jesus. And we would love to introduce you to Jesus. We would love to talk with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus. We'd love to connect with you. There's a couple ways we can do it. You can, if you're in the room, you can leave. And as we leave, there's a, a room right out here on the right. We call it our next steps room. There are people in there ready to talk with you. If you're, you're watching online at home, or if, even if you're in the room and you say, hey, I'd feel comfortable starting with a text, you can send a text to 407-338-4024. And there's someone on the end of that line. They're going to start a conversation with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Maybe your next step is following Jesus. Maybe your next step is just praying now. Who can you share the gospel with at lunch today? I don't know what your next step is, but what I know this is that anytime we read the Bible, anytime we study the Bible, God's calling us to that next step. So maybe now you just pray and ask, Lord, what does it look like for me to live on mission? How do I take my next step on mission? And if we can help you in any way, we would love to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for today. We're grateful that your word is true, that the gospel is good. God, we pray that you would be with us even now. God, that you would drive us to live on mission. God, that as we follow Jesus, as we're empowered by the Spirit, God, we pray that you would lead us into places where people need to hear the gospel. God, we pray that we would see people come to faith, that we would see people baptized, we would see people discipled, we would see people following you. God, we pray that you would do this in ways that we have never experienced, in ways that we have never seen. And God, I pray that you would just show each and every one of us, what is that next step? Where do we go? What does it look like for for us to follow you on mission? We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.